Luke chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 17, and we'll read through 49, the end of the chapter today. We are beginning now the what some call the, the Sermon on the Plain. Others uh, refer to it as simply Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, there, there's a little debate there. I don't want to get bogged down in, but uh, th- there are a number of differences, aren't there, between Matthew 5 through 7 and the second half of Luke 6. Not just the length, but even the content has a lot that's the same and a lot that's different. Is it the same sermon? Is it a different sermon? And people can get stuck on that point and miss things, I think. It, if it's the same sermon, the sermon on the mount, um, and, and here people get stuck on verse 17, Jesus came down. But uh, that's why I've titled this the Sermon on the Plateau. Because what, what Luke is telling us is he was at the top of the mountain, or what some of us would call a hill, uh, with his disciples, and they came down from there to meet the rest of the crowd on a level plateau on the side of the mountain. So there, there's no conflict there with Matthew necessarily. Uh, but if we take this as the Sermon on the Mount, just Luke's version, we should probably understand that Matthew's long version is a manuscript. And Luke, who's been doing all his work through witnesses, is giving us the bullet point memories that he gets from witnesses. If I said, tell me the best about the best sermon you heard in the early 2000s, some of you might not be able to. Some of you would think you were doing that and you would tell me something you heard two years ago. But, but even if you remember, this is, you know, Jerry preached this sermon in 2006 on, I'm not even going to guess what he was preaching, Romans something probably. And I said, so what was it about? You probably wouldn't give me a 20 minute, well, point one, here's his introduction, then here's point one and walk me through a 20-minute review of the sermon, even though it was your favorite sermon. You would probably say, well, these were a couple of the points that stood out to me. And so Luke being shorter and different is if it's the same sermon. Just Luke recording what people remembered, what struck them, what the Holy Spirit continued to work through uh, their memories over the years. On the other hand, I, I tend to lean towards being a different sermon. When you're a traveling preacher who doesn't live stream and doesn't have sermon audio, you can get away with preaching the same basic sermon any number of times. In the past decade, I've preached on Matthew's Beatitudes at six different churches, and not one sermon was the same from one church to another. I knew people in the churches. I preached slightly different to fit their needs and their Sufferings, or I realized that last time I didn't preach the best way I could. In Christ's instance, he's preaching to audiences. He knows their needs. And so as he goes around Galilee, he no doubt preached similar sermon. That, that might account for some of the differences when we read of the parables in different Gospels as well. He was adjusting it to the need to which he was seeking to speak. So either way, we don't have a problem here between Luke and Matthew. I'm going to preach this month, maybe the next six weeks, on this sermon, mainly from Luke. I'm not going to rehash what I preached from Matthew a few years ago. 
because the Holy Spirit has given us this as it is. And it's what we need. So here is the, the Sermon on the Plain. I want to draw your attention to it today. We're going to read the whole chapter, the, the whole sermon this morning. I'll also just remind you, a month ago, when we last were in this passage of Luke, we saw that there were parallels between Moses and Christ. Moses went up on Sinai to commune with God, and then as the mediator came down with a law that showed what the kingdom citizen should live like and look like. And Christ goes up on the mountain and communes with the Father, and now is coming down with this sermon which shows us what the kingdom citizen should live like and look like. There's a parallel there. So in one sense, this sermon is Christ's, um, Christ's uh, form of government for how you should live. It's a very succinct one, but it's a very glorious one and astonishing one as well. So let's look at this. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. This is the word of Almighty God. And Jesus came down with them and stood on the level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went forth from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? 
For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit, for men do not gather figs from thorns nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like the man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. So far in the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this, your word. Thank you for giving us each part of your word. And we thank you this morning for this sermon of our Lord's recorded for us. May we receive its instruction. May it be deeply implanted in our hearts so that we might glorify you in all of life for we pray it in jesus name amen well i i think i just said a few minutes ago i i plan on uh, at least july knowing me probably august looking at this sermon we've just read we're going to look at the various parts i don't know how long on each part but this morning what i want to do is is get to the heart of the sermon. What is the, the thing, the theme, 
that holds all the parts together. I believe we find that theme right in the middle in verse 36. Be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. That theme has a claim and a command in it. And that claim and that command will uh, instruct us through all the parts of this sermon which our Lord preaches. So there's a claim in the theme. And the claim is that God is merciful. God our Father is a merciful Father. But we need to note with that what mercy is because in our day and age we tend to just dumb all terminology down to nothing. So we, we might think mercy means God is nice. Such a flat and boring word. It's, it's nice when you have nice friends, but what does that even mean? It doesn't mean a lot, but mercy has so much more with it, doesn't it? Because mercy assumes, it assumes an object for mercy. It assumes an object, when we find the word mercy in Scripture, what, what the object is, is either something pitiable, pathetic, or unworthy. Pitiable, pathetic, or unworthy. I think Charles Hodge said that, that mercy is pity and forbearance. Another wrote, it is specifically pity and forbearance towards an enemy conquered. I think that's taking it a little too far, because not every instance of mercy can fit that definition in Scripture. But that is a lot of the definitions of mercy in Scripture, isn't it? God's mercy towards us is a victorious king having pity on unworthy, pitiable, and pathetic enemies. Mercy is much deeper than niceness, isn't it? This is why we usually find mercy paired with its best friend, grace. Not always, right? God can be merciful to the unbeliever. He showered this morning. The rain fell on the good as you tried to get into the church building dry, and the bad as maybe they were sitting in their mine in their beds or whatever, right? God has mercy that is a type of benevolence towards all his creatures. But usually when we hear of God's mercy in Scripture, it's focused on the objects of his grace as well on pitiable and unworthy sinners to whom he will choose, despite their, their own insufficiency, inability, unlikableness, unworthiness, to pour out his mercy and grace. All objects of God's saving love in the created world are both unworthy due to their sin, therefore objects of his grace, and 
miserable in our fallen condition, needing his mercy. And isn't the gospel, the good news, all the more glorious because it's the good news of mercy for the miserable and grace for the unworthy. This claim of God the Father being merciful undergirds the whole sermon on the plateau here. Especially, I think, as we look at verses 20 through 26, which I'm not going to get into this week because we're going to come back to next week, possibly the week after. But those verses, 20 through 26, what is the thing at the heart of them all? The unspoken thing. A kingdom citizen must be an object of God's mercy. After all, those verses make it very clear. Kingdom citizens are not kingdom citizens because they are rich, strong, self-sufficient, the paragon of earthly success and an image of untouchable just daily happiness. No, we're shown there the kingdom citizen is one who is poor, grieving, and hated. Well, how could those possibly be called kingdom citizens? Such miserable people. Only if God is merciful. See, this thought, this claim that God is merciful upholds the first third of the Sermon on the Plateau. Without God's mercy, there would be no kingdom citizens at all. There would be no kingdom. But the king comes bringing the Father's mercy. And so there are kingdom citizens who are poor, pathetic, broken, helpless, grieving, suffering, and hated. I'll challenge you. Faceted reality generated 5 and 6, not by through the washing of regeneration. 7-8, transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever. Why? Why does he pardon? Why does he forgive? Why does his anger not retain forever? Why? Because he delights in mercy. And doesn't that also show us the depth and the richness of his mercy. God the Father does not begrudgingly show mercy because Jesus somehow tricked him into it on the cross. The Father delights in mercy. And so he sent his Son to the cross. It doesn't stop with renewal and pardon and forgiveness and washing, it continues all through our lives. Think of, think of his sanctifying mercy, that, that daily renewal, that daily putting off of the old man, putting on of Christ, becoming more and more in the image of Christ. What is the thing that enables it? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, Brethren, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
I skipped something, didn't I? What enables us to give our lives, present them as a living sacrifice? What enables us to not be conformed but transformed, Paul says, by the mercies of God? We're so pathetic that even having been pardoned, we would fail to live for Christ. But His mercies, His mercies enable us to grow in holiness. It's a slow slow process, isn't it? It's a process that takes till our last breath and that moment we see our Savior and are like Him. But by the mercies of God in Christ, daily we may put off the old man and put on the new in His strength. Or we can think about God's mercies more generally in the Christian life, that as children of the King, He preserves and protects us for eternity. Doesn't, of course, mean that we don't suffer, which is why the text I've chosen as an example of this mercy doesn't contain the word mercy. But I'm taking it from Job himself. Job, in the midst of suffering, speaks of the mercy of God in the believer's life. He says in Job 10.12, You have granted me life and favor, and your care has preserved my spirit. Those are just the easy samples of the depth and richness of the mercy of God that you and I can receive in Christ and do receive in Christ if we are in Him by faith. Go find more. Every time I read my Bible this week, I had to say, wait a second, do I need to change the Old and New Testament readings? Because the word mercy kept popping up, and I kept thinking, well, that would be an interesting nuance to, to have Peter read with us in the worship service, but I'm glad I stuck with the ones I did. But go and take note of the mercy of God. I don't know where you're at in your reading of God's word this coming week. If you don't find God merciful in your scripture reading, you may not be reading the Bible enough this week. Wherever you are in it, He is merciful. All these mercies, Romans 9 tells us, He pours out on His people. In fact, Romans 9, 22 and 23 declare that this is the very reason why He formed His people so that we might be vessels of mercy. You could do two things with that thought, and I think both are appropriate. Did he create us as vessels of mercy, vessels that would retain mercy, which he pours into us? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what our God does. He fills us to the brim with His daily mercies. But you know, you can also read Romans 9 
and understand vessels created for a purpose of mercy. Meaning that we were created to be vessels to also disperse mercy abroad. And that brings us from the claim which Christ makes in the Sermon on the Plateau to the command which he gives us. The claim is that God our Father is the Father of mercies. But the command then is, therefore, imitate our merciful Father. Now, it strikes me as we recall the parallel between Moses and Christ that Luke 6 is setting up, that this verse, 36, reminds me of the, of the preface to the Ten Commandments. Do you remember the preface to the Ten Commandments? I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Then there's a bracketed thing whenever I say it to you in the sermon, isn't there? Therefore, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. Therefore, you shall not make for yourself an image, etc., etc., right? The preface says something about who God is and what he has done. And then the therefore is, how shall we then live? And verse 36 of our text, although not a preface in this instance, is Christ giving us the same thing. Here is something about God, his character, which has led to his actions. He is merciful. Therefore, as his children by adoption, as members and citizens of his nation, his kingdom, be merciful. That is how you shall live. And of course, verses 27 through the end of the chapter are unpacking some of the hardest moments in the life of anyone and saying, He's merciful. Therefore, be merciful. Again, I don't know how many weeks we're going to unpack all these verses. There are some hard things in here, aren't there? But we have the command before us to be merciful as He is merciful. This morning, I just want to reflect then as we go into this summer about being merciful as our Father. What does biblical mercy require? I, I think we can frame this around the Holy Trinity, our great triune God. Christ starts it off here by telling us that imitation of the Father requires being merciful. Isn't that what the therefore means? If you are going to imitate your Father in heaven, therefore you must be merciful. In, um, in the phenomenal but very long book, The Christian's Reasonable Service by Wilhelmus Abrockel, which is thoroughly enjoyable and, and most of you will never read. But, but he has some 
some uh, encouragement, some guidance if you're doubting whether you're a child of God, if you're questioning, am I really a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? He lists ways to, to test, to look for marks in your life that you are indeed adopted into the household of God. And I was interested to just notice, I'm not going to share them all with you. Here's just one that he talks about. He says that the child reflects the father. Often we see that biologically, don't we? Or the mother. We see it biologically. We, we even argue in families, which parent? Which parent is reflected more? And depending on which extended family you are, it's the other parent, right? It's, we just had this yesterday. Oh, he looks so much like you. And I think, oh, I, I see members of Holly's family in my son. But, uh, but my extended family doesn't know them as well, so of course it's me he looks like. Uh, that, that's what we do. There's that reflection. Well, how do you get that with adoption? It's not biological. It's not visual like that, is it? But there are any number of other things. Uh, for example, if you're adopted a, 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 as a baby, the person may still have all the mannerisms, probably the most annoying mannerisms of their father as they grow up. That's how that works, isn't it? To look nice. And sometimes those things look a little bit like God's value when they fail. The Father in heaven. Oh God, the Father's mercy looks why I started before the start of the week in the Lord. It's the only uh, rocking, taking off work. They get there. They are suffering. They find people to carry them there. But what do we read? We read the whole multitude sought to touch him for power went out from him and healed that Christ just has this astonishing, he's like, and if you touch him, regardless of whether he wants to do anything or not, that power just goes forth. Of course that's not what we're being shown. What we're being shown is God the Son has the exact image of the Father's mercy because he is the exact image of the Father. And he is so abundant in mercy and pity towards those who are miserable that as they come to Him, He pours out His merciful, saving, healing power upon the multitudes. Now, you and I can't imitate the Father in that way, but we can still look at Christ pouring out mercy and learn something about what it will require from us from day today. And this again, I think is something I'm going to leave you to study your Gospels and make note when Christ is showing mercy, what does it cost him? What does it require of him? But here are just some of, again, I'm picking all the easy ones for myself. Here's some of the really easy things that being merciful like our Father in heaven cost Jesus Christ the Son late nights exhausting days, little sleep, 
a lot of inconvenience. And in some instances, as we saw just recently with his healings on the Sabbath day, in Luke chapter, uh, I believe, 5, maybe it was the beginning of 6, we saw him lose his reputation with the culture around him to imitate the Father's mercy. Be merciful as our Father's mercy will cost you. The example of Christ shows that. And that's if we, we don't even get as far as looking at Philippians 2, right? The mercy which led him to leave his throne, to die on the cross, to bear the wrath of the Father till the cup was empty so that you and I would not be vessels of wrath because there's no wrath left in the bottom of the cup, but that we would be vessels of mercy. All this out of Christ's abundant mercy leaving his throne on high. So we must imitate the Father in mercy. Christ is our example here to show us what it will cost us and what it will require of us. But third, we need the indwelling Holy Spirit to enable us for true mercy to go forth. Of ourselves, we we fail at mercy again and again, don't we? we? We know it. If we look back, we can think of moments where something kept us from sharing the gospel or from giving that meal or that coat or that ride. We can see those things Sometimes it's the fact that maybe I'm just self-centered and self-absorbed. I was really looking forward to a date tonight, and this will get in the way of it. I was really needing to get to bed early because I've been working hard lately. Self-absorbed, self-centered. I was looking forward to a a time with just this friend, and now I'm having to bring this other person along. It can be any number of things, can't it? I bought that for myself, not to hand to that person so they could enjoy it. Or it could be the other end of the spectrum. It could be fear of the consequences. If I do this merciful thing, what will that mean for my future? and my life, and my reputation. Whatever the cause, we fail greatly. But the beautiful thing is that the Holy Spirit has been given to dwell within us. And one of the things He does, Philippians 2, verse 13, is work within us both to will and to do the Father's good pleasure. And remember what the Father's good pleasure is? He delights in mercy. Beloved, you fail in mercy. I fail in mercy. But if you are a believer in Christ, you have the example before you set in Him, and you have the Spirit within you to enable and strengthen you. Oh, we ought to pray more. Lord, may Your Spirit make me willing 
to imitate you and to pour out mercy abroad. The Spirit begins this work in us, calling us to faith in Christ, uniting us to Christ. Without this, we will not be truly merciful as the Father is merciful. The Puritan John Flavel spoke of this. He wrote, The mercies of God are infinite. All our protection, provision, and comforts in this world are the fruits of His mercy, the free gifts of divine favor. But Christ is the first and the chief mercy. All other mercies...